I was the first Muslima online store in Singapore. Oh really? Yeah. Which year was that? 2010. It took me about a year and a half before I decided to go full-time with Sofia. It was a decision I had to make because mm. my husband was posted overseas and that's when I strengthened my um, online presence. I was in Netherlands, my production was in China and my business was in Singapore. Did the business grow? It was a very exciting moment for everybody. In Singapore, in, in China, it was very new to have a homegrown brand, like a Muslima brand that the community can be proud of. Let's talk about the money. Imagine bringing in five figures a day. That would have gone into anybody's head and like, you know, wow. it, it got into my head. Were there <laughs> any hurdles that you have to overcome? Well, everything was going on smoothly, but I had problem. I had designer's block. I was like... Does it affect you personally? Yes, because the quality of life, I, I didn't have it then. Did you lose anyone? Yes, I lost people who I was close to and money was all I got and money was all I lost. Welcome to the second season for Keep It Coming Rags to Riches, a series that celebrates the enterprising spirit that makes up some of the most successful homegrown businesses in Singapore. We uncover their humble beginnings, their trials, lessons, successes, and the values that have shaped them today. And with us today is Miss Rina from Sofia. Sofia right now is in the fashion line, a tailor-made business. Now, before we spoke about the business, you were doing some businesses prior to the current one that you're doing. Now, what business was that? It was still a Muslima fashion business. Oh, okay. It's a ready-to-wear. Mm -hmm. So, solely made in China. So, I designed and have it mass-produced. So, I was the first Muslima online store in Singapore. Oh, really? Yeah, way uh. before there was Facebook, way before there was Fashion Belly, whatever you have now. Which year was that? 2010. But prior to that, you were a draftswoman. Yes, I was a draftswoman for 15 years. So, what changed you? Basically, it was lifestyle. I mean, I was changing how I was. I was wearing the hijab. Yeah. And when you are in... Um, I was doing architectural. I was in building. Mm. So, there wasn't a lot of options for Muslima women when we go on site. So, because I was not wearing hijab and mm. all that, so I started designing my own, doing my own baju. Those options were very low. Yes. So you decided to design it on your own. When you say it's difficult to find work outfits mm -hmm. for... Uh, a Muslima. A Muslima. In the construction world. Um, can't you find in the uh, ready-to-meet... Uh, That's the thing. Because of my work punya... Um, capacity. You know, capacity, the yeah. environment. I, mm. I can't wear dresses. I can wear skirts. And all they had back then in 2009, 2008, my daughter was born in 2008, so the options were so limited. Yeah. So layering was a, not an option as well because of the weather, the heat and all that. Okay. I think it comes to as an inspiration that I needed to do something and it helps that I have a design fashion background. I've always loved fashion, oh, okay. way before architectural. <laughs> I, I, I would like to imagine what kind of style you were at the site. Lah. I don't want to remember that. <laughs> but I think, kalau you terpaksa and you know, you have to change your lifestyle, so you have to adapt. So it was a spiritual calling then? To be honest, it wasn't so much of spiritual calling then. You're very honest, yeah? Yes, I mean, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> so spiritual, it comes in as we go along. When I started embracing wearing the hijab. Were you married then? I was married. Okay. I just had my daughter. Um, and then it was a struggle because I was childless for seven years mm -hmm. until I had my daughter. 
and I told myself that um, after seven years of trying to have a child, and finally Allah has granted me a child, gifted me. Yeah. So I started thinking that, okay, um, how do I thank him? So it started oh. with obligation of, okay, you, you wear hijab, you know, yeah. you slowly embrace the ugama a bit more in depth. Yeah. So I think my spiritual journey comes when I really had Sufia. Uh, Both my daughter, okay, Sufia is the namesake of my daughter. Yeah. So when I had Sufia, my daughter, when I had Sufia, the brand, when I started wearing hijab. the hijab. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's really, really heartwarming. So what kind of outfit and dresses do you do? When I started sufia.com.sg, my, it's always modest, muslima, wear. Mm. So it was very simple. It's something that um, for the everyday women. We have different translations of modesty, of yes. modest, mm -hmm. right? What's your point of view of when it comes, when, when, when you say sufia.com.sg had modest wear? Tell us the level of modesty that, that you shared with the rest of your fans or the rest of your clients. When I started wearing the hijab, yes. it, I, was start, I started wearing it when I got married in yeah. 2002. Okay. But because of my work, I was wearing it on and off. Oh, you know, just like, like just like some nurses yeah, and yeah, those in the like public sector. It wasn't like a full-time thing. So um, when I had the chance, I wear it. When yeah. I can't, it's just you know. Jadi, I cakap myself, why am I being part-timer um, hijabi? Jadi, I think that's when I started designing for people who wants to make a seamless trans transition. Oh, okay. So that they can wear hijab all the time. Oh, okay. So, but instead of just layering or wearing dresses, wearing jubah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's where the the idea of wear, doing a Muslima brand for the everyday okay. use. So I I won't be able to perceive it as tight jeans, tight t-shirt. Then the tudung, no. Modest to me is something you have to be comfortable with. Okay. You know, you, okay. you start off slowly, okay. gradually. That okay. means I was still wearing jeans because I was in construction site. Yeah. Okay. I was still wearing t-shirt, but okay. it has to be modest in a sense that. Loose wear, you know, it's it's looser. It's than not that. body hugging. It's not body okay. hugging. It's yeah. long sleeve. It yeah. it. So the first thing first, you start easy first. Oh, okay. you, know, you just don't go and wear something that much like, not appropriate for work. Okay. And then you feel more comfortable wearing something that's more covered. The natural progression is even easier. From mm. a working female professional point of view. Correct. Yes, and somebody who works in the male-dominated environment. Yeah. Mm. Was it tough in the beginning? Um, it was tough because it was hard to get something that I can wear and I can wear comfortably. Do people give you the look? They don't, but oh, okay, you know, okay. because it's it's male dominated, yeah, you know. Okay, I think yeah, for the female is it's different mm. because I'm I'm lucky probably because I work in such a male dominated environment. So dorang macam tak lah. Cuma dorang punya point is like how are you gonna wear this with your boots? So all these things comes and play along with how do I design something okay. that I can wear to work and then finish to work and then go home to mm. my daughter and then sometimes in between that because I tell you I was on a spiritual journey as well slowly mm -hmm. I was going to the mosque oh, right okay. after work okay. so how do I make it work from construction to work to the mosque like how I select the fabric because yeah. bear in mind I, I, I produced my own line yeah. so it was everything at my control you know I can yeah. control the fabric I can control the cuts yeah. so that's how I decided and I was I started just with basic cotton Oh, in a okay. way before Uniqlo had it. So uh. we started with just basic cotton because I had to work. Then from there, how do I play with cotton into a more uh, modernised fashion? So the business philosophy then was to make it easy for uh, the Muslim professional worker mm. to cross the boundary into the Muslim wear. Modest wear. So that was, that was what you had in mind. Yes, now. that was the aim. So what triggered you to just jump off the ship 
from getting your monthly salary to mm. doing something completely new. So it took me a while, Adi, from mm. to to decide to do this full time mm. because I was still, you know, having a comfortable job, a comfortable pay yeah. monthly. Mm. So jadi it took me about a year and a half before I decided to go full time with Sofia. Mm. But it was a decision I had to make because mm. my husband was posted overseas. Oh, yeah, okay. To Netherlands. Um, okay. Jadi it was um, about a year punya job. Okay. So he has to go there for a year. So it's either that I have to stay here and continue working for a year, or do I join him? So you know? what was your decision? Uh, join him. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the move was the one that makes it easy for yeah. me to just leave my job okay. in the, from the corporate world and yeah. join him. And that's when I strengthened my um, online presence. Uh, that's when I started to study online um, situation. You know, yeah. the punya how online works. Yeah. Because I was in Europe then. I was in Netherlands, so I was already studying how people were doing things online. And 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 yeah. and in Asia, the the online business was still considered primitive. Yes, yes. I mean, bear in mind, Facebook was around, mm. but people were just doing profiles. There wasn't a business Facebook then. It was mm. just profiles. Jadi, when I was in Netherlands, it was different because everything was so far. Everybody was already doing online businesses. Mm-hmm. So, that got me triggered that, like Singapore, kita small, right? Jadi, kita assume that you can just take the bus, the cars, everything is within reach. But when you're there, everything is online. And then I realized that I can actually run the business anywhere I am. So, I'm in ne- I was in Netherlands, my production was in China, and my business was in Singapore. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So that's how I realized that all I had to do was create a virtual presence, oh, okay. which is the online store. Yeah. So production still runs because I realized that you can work anywhere you want. You can run things, not being there physically. Because uh, when I was designing, everything is designed online, kan? Mm. I can pass to my the factory there and then ship it to Singapore. So I just have to have the right people in Singapore to run to the run. business. Yeah. But but mm. when we talk about fashion, right, it's not just about ideas mm. to paper than mm. design. You have to talk about the materials, yeah. you have to talk about the mm. um, the prints, mm-hmm. the color. Mm-hmm. Now, you would not train fully. Mm-hmm. We have fashion designers who have to go mm. through school for five to six years. So, yeah. how how did that come about the the academic part of it? Okay, um, like I told you, yeah. I was already uh, artistically inclined. I was already in foundation years for fashion. Oh, okay. But I stopped that. Um, so about being an only child, so my mom had more high hopes on me. <laughs> so she wanted me to do into something more profitable, more traditional, yes, more traditional. the doctors, lah, yeah. this, lah, exactly. that, Exactly. So I took architectural, la. being her only child, you know. Tapi the fashion is always there ah, because okay. my my grandmother is a seamstress. Oh really? Yeah. So she's been sewing for people and all that. So I grew up with that, mm. and I love that. But again, I want to be you know a good child to my mom. You're a good child. <laughs> Inshallah, <laughs> Alhamdulillah, you know, I try, I try, yeah. yes. We all try on a daily basis. So, tapi the the love of fashion has always been there. Mm-mm. I knew I had the flair. Jadi, it wasn't just going to something not knowing anything. Mm-mm. I think that's the, the worst thing somebody can do. Jumping into something and not, not having the desire or the passion. Or the knowledge. The knowledge, correct. I really, I had a lot of passion for fashion. <laughs> I possibly knowledge belum ada lah. But, mm. you know, I had the foundation. But mm. where do I go from here, you know? So did, did the business grow? Alhamdulillah. Ah. So what happened was, it was a very exciting moment for everybody. In Singapore, in, in China, you know, they were trying, they, they were opening market for world, yeah. you know, and to have a Muslima brand, a modest brand mm. from mm. Singapore, you know, to bring in production there. 
they were more than happy to accommodate to all my needs and wants. Mm -hmm. And in Singapore, the response was amazing. Everybody was like, oh, this is very fresh. And it was very, it was very new to have a homegrown brand, mm. like a Muslima brand that the community can be proud of. So that was a very good beginning for me. So you were, so in short, I can say you were the go-getter. You want this, you, you, you can do it, and you were the pioneer of things. I would like to think so. And I think I am. Mm -hmm. At that point, yeah. Let's talk about the money. Did you make a decent amount of money then? Exactly. I mean, money is always an incentive. Okay. You know, imagine bringing in five figures a day. I'm not talking about a month. Five figures a day. That would have gone into anybody's head. And, like, you know, wow. it, it got into my head. It got into my head as well. Okay. So, it's just lumrah manusia, kan? Yeah. Money is always an incentive Why you do this. Passion aside, but the money was good. So, did the, did the business expanded here? Um, yes. Okay. So over the years that I was, so I mean, the one year that I was away, I came back every three months for the oh, business. Okay. So I was coming in, coming back, and I was getting a lot of offers for retail shops. Mm. So at those days, you know, retail was the thing. Push cart was the thing. So Century Square uh, offered me Orchard. Everywhere they offered me. So I opened up my first Century Square uh, push cart because I was away, right? Mm. I wouldn't want to have a physical store mending by someone whom I don't know okay. or maybe a, you know you don't want to trust somebody with your very first store yeah. so I got the push card and yeah. that time the push card was 5006 a month that's a lot that's a lot but bear in mind I was earning like four to five figures a day which a, is a, a lot yeah, yes, like, okay. from my online and things like that that's so what happens was I took the push card and yeah. then I got offered my first retail um, from Tanjukatan Complex Ah, okay. Yeah, so they were trying to revamp the place, you know, getting new brands. So, again, I was very cautious. I'm always a very cautious person because um, I'm not there. Mm. I was always flying back and forth. So, I took up the push card at Century Square, the Tanjukata Complex, and then I had another offer for Northbridge Road, Arab Street. Oh, wow. Uh, so, it was just, I didn't know that everybody was crazy about you then. I didn't know that as well because I wasn't in Singapore. Yeah, okay. But when I was back in Singapore, for the, every three months that I was back, uh. I actually did a, a house party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you open your house to people come. You know, people come and buy your stuff there. And that was a very good way it, for me to interact with the customers uh. who I did not see personally. So, every three months, we had that. And the response was just, you know, amazing. amazing. Yeah, that was the drive for me to stop everything, quit everything and come back full-time back to Singapore. Yeah, but in, in, in every business as we have our ups and downs, mm -hmm. let's talk about the pain points. Were there mm -hmm. any hurdles that you have to overcome? When I was starting out? Yeah. Um, I think the only hurdle I had was there wasn't a brand to, for me to maculate. Oh, okay. Because there wasn't anybody who started this then. You oh, know, okay. In every business, you want to copy, you want to um, imitate somebody, mm -mm. you know, some, something to, to get inspiration from. But it wasn't. It sounded know. like there's no co competition, but yes. it also becomes a hurdle. Yes, yes. So, but you don't know whether you're doing it right or it's just <sighs> a hype or people are just excited. But what happens next, you know? So, um, while everything was going on smoothly, but I had problem. I had designer's block. I was like, ah, you like, had those. Yes, people was like expecting too much. Like, okay, after this collection, apa, 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 and if this collection that doesn't sell, what happens? Were you stressed? I was stressed. Oh. <laughs> Every other collection was is a is a stress for me. It's about, you see, a production. Okay, they can't stop production. That was the deal with China. You have to keep producing for them, to specifically, 
um, uh, solely produced for you. Okay? Mm, mm. So once you lack in production, they open up to other people. You know, and you, do, you wouldn't want that to happen. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. Because I have to keep thinking every single day. I have to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm valid. Sufia is always valid. People always like the design. And what happens if I don't sell the past season? It was just... So it becomes a rolling burden. Yes. It becomes an obligation to please people. You know, just like Misalan, you're a filmmaker, you are a writer, you're a yeah. singer. Uh-huh. What happens if you don't have a hit after a hit? So, so it, it comes to the same for th- me. Does it affect you personally? Yes, because the quality of life, I, I didn't have it then. Oh dear. Yeah, because I didn't have enough rest, I couldn't think straight, because yeah. I was always thinking that like, everybody was like, okay, what do we do next? What's the next collection? And then my staff was like, Okay, what happens if this new collection comes in? The old one, we still have stocks. What do we clear them? How do we do this? Oh, that's sakit lah. Sakit. Yeah. <laughs> when you make money, you burn money as well, right? <laughs> because production is ongoing. But <sighs> how did you overcome it? Um, I think that's when I start to burn out. It's not I overcome it. I oh didn't know how to overcome it. Oh dear. I didn't know. I was alone. I didn't have a lot of guidance. I didn't have, like I told you, I didn't have anybody to go to. So it was just trial and error. But it was a sweet trial. Yeah. But it was a very, very bad error. So you have no time? I had no time. I had no time to take a pause back and reflect on everything. What suffered in that process? Um, Besides you burning out? I think everybody around me suffers. Okay. My staff, my customers also. Did it change your character to someone shot? It wasn't a person that I want to look back oh, okay. And, okay. and be proud of. Did you lose anyone? Um, yes. I mean, I lost friends. I lost people who I was close to. Mm-hmm. I think the business made me into a person that I'm not proud of. Can I say a monster that you didn't want to create? Yes. Um, the worst thing is like I was so absorbed into making money. Yeah. And money was all I got. Um, and money was all I lost. Tune in to Rex to Riches on YouTube and Spotify. Keep it coming, SG.